Well, as we, uh, as we get into this morning um, to see what God has to say through his word, let's get back into uh, prayer, and we want to ask our, our questions. Um, but uh, we really, really want to hear what he has to say to us this morning. How many of you want to hear something from the Lord in your life? Okay. How many of you are afraid of what that might be? Because <laughs> what he says to us usually stretches us, which is why we ask that second question, Lord, how do you want me to respond? Because that's about posture. How do I respond? How do I posture myself to the things that you're saying to me so that I don't just run to the hills, but I stay in there? So Lord, we, we do ask what you want to say to us this morning, individually uh, and corporately as a body. We're all carrying different things. Some of us hard and painful things, some of us joyful things, and many in between those. But we thank you that you are a God whose reality is far greater than what we just read about. You care about those things, and you know them. And that's comforting. So we we ask you, what do you want to say to us this morning, and how would you have us respond? Thank you, Lord. Help us to posture ourselves in in a way to receive. And it can be hard for us to receive, especially good things in the midst of maybe some bad decisions we've made or this or that. But we thank you that um, we're worthy because you say we are, not because our deeds tell us one way or another, but because you say we are and you give graciously, so we want to receive graciously. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me give you a little recap um, as we were, first off, has everyone recovered from the storm a couple weeks ago? Okay. How many lived in a week of discouragement right after that? Anyone other than me? Okay. Is that discouragement shifting? Good. This is beautiful. Again, I have never understood growing up in San Diego while on all the sitcoms that, you know, happen, why they talk about the weather all the time. How's the weather out there? Oh, it was a beautiful day. It's always a beautiful day. I live in San Diego. There's nothing to talk about until I moved here. Then you really begin to appreciate good weather. Gosh, now I get it. Now I get it. Well, we've taken a short break from our our series in Romans, which is Living in the Tension. And just to recap for those of you that are visitors, is that our journey through Romans, Romans is a vehicle. Roman uh, culture back then looked very similar to some of the things that's happening in American culture today. And Paul's addressing a lot of that. And Addressing it in a way that isn't just so black and white as we would like it to be. Because sometimes we look at around us and the things happening in church culture and American culture and we go, Psh, we put it in either one of two buckets. And it's easy to have that stance on things because it's cleaner, isn't it? And it's less energy, okay? Right and wrong. Instead of trying to understand why these things are right or wrong or what's happening, we just go, it's in this bucket and this in, in that bucket. And we've used... The, uh, the passage in scripture of the woman caught in adultery and how Jesus brings something to these two extremes that we didn't see, a whole new option, his way. <laughs> his way, instead of calling our way his way, he shows us his way and he stands with a woman caught in adultery that should be punished and stoned to death. And 
when he says his famous thing, you who hasn't sinned, cast the first stone, and they leave one by one by one by one, and they're left alone. And he says to her, who's here to condemn you? What does she say? No one. And he says, neither I condemn you. So we go, oh, we got a, a wussy Jesus. He doesn't know how to, he's just, it's almost cheap grace. But is that where he leaves it? No. He does something else. He says, now go and sin no more. So he addresses behavioral things, but not before the encounter. Because he stays with her in the midst of punishment and does something different. How, is we, how are we as the church and the climate we're in going to be able to do that? Well, we have to stay with Jesus. Okay. And so then we came to Easter. And one of the things about Easter that I love is the color and the fun and the, the joy. But one of the things I don't like is the hangover because... <laughs> It's like we put all this energy in and then we forget we just had Easter. The only thing that tells us we just had Easter is the Easter hangover. I'm tired. But there's more to drill down. And so we're in this little, you call it a series, I don't care what you call it, this little mini series of this postscript of what happened right after the resurrection that is important for us to understand that will help us re-engage Romans when we get into chapter six in a couple weeks. So I was planning on doing that. And plans kind of changed a little bit. I had, uh, we had, uh, we're part of, uh, Bridgewood is a part of a network of churches called the Alliance of Renewal Churches. Many of you are familiar with it. And um, we had an ARC retreat slash gathering conference kind of thing this week at Redeemer Lutheran Church. And I was exhausted. Now, I'm an extrovert. But at these things, you've got to schmooze. And I, I was schmoozing my face off. Eric, is that true? I was schmoozing, man. I tried to, and trying to make schmoozing authentic is really tiring because it's, I, I want to live authentically, so I can't just schmooze. And I've got to be really interested and involved. And I got there, but man, I was really tired. And sometimes, as a, and I knew I had to preach, and sometimes as a pastor, what can happen is when you read scripture, you read so that you can teach something. And that can be a challenging place to be. Who's prepared a Bible study or who's, who's taught on a consistent basis from Scripture? Okay? Or even it can be hard to just read it to engage Jesus without having to give it to someone right away in preparation. And I was so tired and I was trying to read the room while I was at the art gathering and all this stuff. And I felt, you know what? I'm not even going to think about Sunday. And what I have to preach, I need to just connect with him. And so he brought me to a passage of scripture. And so today I'm going to be as vulnerable as I can be and just let you into my devotional time. Because I think um, I wasn't planning on using it to, to talk to anybody about it, really. It was, I was trying to be selfish and take it for myself. But I think there's something for us here. And, and I want you to um, really ask the Lord what he wants to say to you here. We're going to go into John chapter 17. And this does connect to uh, what we talked about a few weeks ago with John, uh, in John 20 and 21 with Peter and uh, his reinstatement and just his journey. But there's some things here that I think are really important. They're really important for me and they're really important for you. And really, honestly, without any of it, everything we do is kind of meaningless. All the things we do for Jesus or we say we do for Jesus, it's kind of meaningless without what we're going to talk about today. So here in John 17, we have Jesus with his disciples, and he's gonna, we're going to see his longest prayer 
his longest recorded prayer in scripture. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Just little snippets, because again, I'm trying to be as authentic as I can about what my devotional experience was like. So fine-tooth combing it is not going to be helpful this morning. But I would encourage you to read it. Now, John 17 follows um, an encounter with Jesus' disciples where he's sharing a lot of stuff. In John 15, we see, "I, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and I will remain in you. That's a big one. That's core. That's about being with. And so you hear him say all these things. And I just want you to posture yourself to listen. If you want to read along, you can, but I'm going to uh, start with verse 1 and go through 5 here. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life. I want you to pay attention to this. This is the way to have eternal life. To know you. You're going, what's the next part? To know him. This is the way of eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Now, it's like, oh, we know that. Yeah, I know that too. But when I was looking at it as something not to study, but to receive, it changed something for me. It made everything we do, even though we try to make it simple here, even more simple. This comes from Jesus' mouth himself. It's one thing to hear it from Paul, and it's great and all that, but I I don't know. When Jesus starts saying these things, when you hear him say them, it, it carries a different weight, even though it's the same weight. But how many get excited when you see Jesus talk like this and you hear it from him? Okay? And here he says, the way to eternal life is to know him. Now, that word know, ooh, ooh, it's relationally uncomfortable. Because in the Greek, it's the same know as a man and a wife knowing each other on their wedding night. That kind of intimacy. It's not about the act, but the, the act is an expression of a level of intimacy. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's not just saying, believe the information and you are saved. Da, 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 da. He's not talking about that kind of knowing. He is talking about an intimate knowing of God. Intimate. And I'm going to tell you up front, I know this stuff. But it really has a rental lease with my heart. <laughs> and I want it to be permanent residence. Knowing God. And that was the challenging thing for me in this time with the Lord. I'm going, I preach this stuff. I try to live this stuff. But I think I really do give you rental access. And fortunately, it's good timing with when that stuff comes out and all that. But what about those times no one sees? Do I seek to know you? Because that is what heaven is, to know him, always, to know him here, to know him then. And if you don't want to know Jesus, if you just want to benefit what he gives you as far as, you know, away from hell and into something else, you don't care what it is, just as long as I'm not there, you're going to miss the blessing. Because it's about knowing him intimately. That was the first thing God put on my heart. Secondly, Moving down to verse 20, Jesus is praying for all believers. He had spent time praying for his disciples, and he was in the moment with them. It was about them. 
And he was telling the Lord to protect him, how much he loves him, and the glory exchange, all wonderful things. And he leads into all believers, and he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. As much as what? You love me. Now this grieved me. It grieved me. Hope is there, but underneath the hope is grief. Because he says to all believers, I want them to have perfect what? What? Unity. Perfect unity. Why? So that they may know who he is. So the world may know who he is. And call me crazy, and I'm not trying to bash the church, but when I look at the church, and you look at the church, and I'm not talking about Bridgewood, I'm talking about, are we in perfect unity? Yes or no? No. And unity is not the same as uniformity. We're talking about a unity only Jesus can bring, and the purpose of that unity is so that people can know him. See, The death and resurrection was to keep us. For what? To know him. He wants to be with us. And this is the third thing that caught me. And I know this because I talk about it all the time. It's the thing I love about Jesus the most. But when I hear it from him this way, without an agenda to use it, it changed my posture of receiving it. After he says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. He says this, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Let me say that again. Because this is Jesus' purpose for the cross and the resurrection. This is the purpose for everything he's doing. And he's talking to his father. And he's doing it publicly. He wants people to hear his heart. He wants people to know what this whole thing, while you're sitting in this chair, it's all about. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you have gave me because you love me even before the world began. I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. This is from Jesus himself. We talk about with a lot. And again, I say it all the time. If I hear someone say something contrary to that, I could just roll my eyes, my spiritual eyes, my physical eyes, my mental eyes. I go, it's about being with. Well, put your money where your mouth is, Brendan. Because I know that, and it visits my heart. But I still get crowded by other things. 
all he wants. He's saying to the Father, I want, he's saying his desire, his greatest his desire is the ones that have been given to him would stay where he is, would be where he is. Now, we see in 28 of Matthew, chapter 28, the Great Commission, he says for, to the disciples, for I will be with you always, and it's one thing for him to come to us, and he does. But there's something I think that's powerful in the way he says it because he says, I want them to be where I am because that means they have to intentionally want to be where I am. I will go after them. I will go after the one from the 99. He says he'll do that. But he's also saying how much he wants reciprocal affection and intimacy. I want them to be where I am. I want them to want to be with me. Because I so want to be with them. And that's not just for these people. It's for you and for me. And I'll tell you, I've heard a lot of, you know, you go to these gatherings and they're funny to watch sometimes because you have all these pastors and they've all got things that the Lord is sharing with them. And it's kind of a hoot because, you know, they, they talk as if they're, and some of them actually are, holding, you know, their, their nice scotch and their, their pipes and they're talking about, or their cigars and they're talking about theology and they're talking about things they're learning and it's all great stuff and it's fun to hear and I'm not diminishing that. But if we don't understand this, if this is not the biggest topic, we're going to miss something. It's about being where he is and if we miss that, then all this other stuff is just empty words. They sound great. They do. They sound fun and there's some neat things in there. But Jesus makes his motivation and his intentions clear that eternity with him is about knowing him. And as a church, he wants us to be in perfect unity so people, so those who don't know him will come to know him. And the only way perfect unity happens is if what? We stay where he is. Is that a, that's the most simple roadmap you could possibly ask for. Stay with Jesus in A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way through the rest of the alphabet will happen. But sometimes we get that backwards, hoping if I do all these things, then at the core, this will happen. But really, this has to be our obsession and what we're infatuated with. I was away all week from my kids, and I have three now, and any of you that has multiple kids... I am, I am an open book to how to not die. <laughs> but um, m- my wife, Shanna, sends me this video of my son, Emmett. And Emmett is the sweetest kid. He, re- he really is. He's tender, he's thoughtful, he's funny, uh, rebellious in the right ways, you know, um, and so they knew I was going to be gone all week. And in the middle of the week, I was sent a message I actually didn't get till after I got home. I wish I had got it during because I could have, you know, gotten out of some stuff. <laughs> um, but she sent me a picture of him. And you know, when you get a video on your phone, it's, it freezes on a facial expression of whoever it's, you know. And so this is what I see from Emmett. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, I'm going to click on that. And this is going to be fun. This is going to Shanna telling me how her day is going. I love craziness. And I click it, and he's just making this face, and he's whining, and you can't hear him. You know, it's toddler tongues. You know, speaking in tongues is a toddler kind of thing. You don't know what they're saying. 
And so I finally hear it, and he's crying, and he says, and it's amazing how a three-year-old can be so articulate in the most simplistic way that cuts to the core of your heart in a second. He says, I just want Daddy to be with me. Yeah, well, you go, oh, and I'm sitting there weeping. I just want him to be with me. The kid is throwing a tantrum because he can't be where I am. I'm going, Lord, when's the last time I threw a tantrum? Because I want to be where you are. When's the last time I've given that kind of energy and natural reactive response to when I'm out of alignment with you? No, instead, you know what I do? I justify it. I distance myself. I make all these excuses. Well, my situation makes me earn this. I am entitled to this. Blah, 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 blah. We all do it. Do we not? And we also blame shame, too. And shame creeps in. Well, I'm ashamed, so I'm going to go over here. Well, you know you are, so let's bring it to Jesus so you don't have to be. Because you just spent $30,000 on a seminary education. Let's not isolate ourselves. Let's go right to the source of the grace that we know freezes from shame. But in order to do that, I have to be where he is. I have to engage him. It's not rocket science. Jesus didn't make it rocket science. He made rocket science, but he did not make it that hard as far as to understand in the simplistic sense of how we do this life. We do it with him. And I want to get to a place in my relationship with him where I can, if I'm not with him, I am whining about it, crying about it. An- annoying people are like, man, he just wants to be with Jesus. Will he shut up already and do it? I would love that. I would be like, thank you. What a great response to my whining. That would be fantastic. And then you look at the landscape of life. And this is how beautiful Jesus, he makes it very clear. It's connectedness with him, period. I'm, I'm sitting, I like to sit in the back at these arc functions so I can just read the room. And I saw something It's pretty consistent throughout the room. People sitting next to each other with one arm around someone next to them. Now we go, okay. Just like Tony and Jenny right here. Sorry to point you out, but I did. Tony's arm is around Jenny. And that that gives you a sense. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. But that gives you a sense of proximity and intimacy. And it's one of the simplest things that would go unnoticed in a room. I see lots of people with arms around or shoulder to shoulder or holding hands. Do you know why? Because it's the greatest desire in humanity to be connected with someone. We have to be. And anyone says they like being alone, usually that's because of a hurt or this or that. But we need, we have to come out of our caves sometimes so that we can get connection because you were built to be with. Someone to be with you and you to be with them. That's why Jesus makes it very clear. I want you to be where I am because that's what you're designed to do. When you look at the most important human experiences in life, they're all about being with. You go, well, I got a great promotion that gave me $40 million. Well, if you don't have anyone to celebrate that with, who cares? Right? You go, yay, This sucks. Look at birth. 
Immediately, God gives a dependency of with. The baby's born and the parent must be with the baby and the baby must be with the parent. There's with. And one of the things I'm learning that was most frightened about in ministry is when you have to watch someone die. It's one of the most holy moments when you're sitting in that hospital and guess what you're not doing? Well, he or she did this and they didn't do that right. And well, no, 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 no. I wonder what's going to be on the other side. No, 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 no. It's about being what? Just with them. You don't have an agenda other to be with. You can't talk people out of their grief. You can't talk them into something else. You can only be there and be with them. And life and death are the two most paramount experiences in the human life. And God designed both of them to require and demand intimate connection. Why would be walking with him any different? If the most important things in our lives require it, they don't happen without it. Now, you may not be present with someone when they die, but when they know that you love them, you are. When they know that they're loved, when they know that they're known and seen, guess what? They are. They know. And Jesus says, this is how you're going to live life in me. It's not about having all the right theology and doctrine. Is that important? Yes, it is. But what's most important that breathes life to all those things? Staying where he is. People say, you know, kids grow up fast. They, no, they don't. They grow faster than that. There's not a word for how fast they grow up. And more and more, I am seeing that it doesn't, you know, I spend so much time wanting to correct behavior and, instead of correcting my own heart and just being with them. Because that's my training. That's my practice to know how to be with the Father. Because Jesus says what? I only do what I see my Father doing. So when he expresses, I just want you to be where I am, that's because that's the Father's heart. And God has given us through relationship multitudes of opportunity to practice that. I just listened to a man who's well-known. I loved, I loved his heart. His name is Jack Deere, and he's like, oh, his brain, I mean, is amazing. And he spent years studying the languages in Scripture. And he knows them inside and out. I mean, I just wanted to quit. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know any of that stuff. He's a blue, blue, blue. And then the last night he spoke, he shares a story where he's preparing a message and this and that. And he gets a video of his granddaughter in the midst of his trying to focus on a good story and this and that. And everything stops and he connects the dots that it's about being with Jesus. That moment, he, he said he just kept playing that over and over and over and over because relationship was what, all, what it was all about. All his years of study didn't mean anything if he couldn't get that. If he missed that, what was it all for? And it taught him how to posture himself with God. We have evidence all around us of his intentions for us. Practice opportunity all around us. And then this kicks me. There are days I don't want to be with me. And even in those days, he still wants to be with me. 
and my moments of deepest shame and deepest, darkest thought. His cry and his prayer that we hear here never stops for my life because he wants to be where I am. I don't stop loving my kids because they tick me off. I don't retract that from them. I don't keep it from them because their behavior isn't correct. My love for them will always be. And there are days I don't want to hang out with them. (laughs) There are days I don't want to hang out with myself, but he still does. Now, if we get that, guess what happens? If we stay where he is, then we have opportunity for unity happen. And if unity happens and the world sees Jesus on a massive scale that we haven't seen since he was there, walking the earth because he's the head and he's going to do what he's going to do. And if we stay with him, the people will know that Jesus was sent by God so that he might be known and they would know that they are known and loved beyond measure. You can't behave your way into this. Proximity to Jesus will create the right behavior, but the right behavior does not manufacture intimacy with God. It doesn't guarantee it. We think if I do the right things, then I'll get this. No, be where he is. And I saw it, I heard this beautiful image from someone this morning who said, well, I, when I heard what you said about being with God, I pictured myself in a field and he's just eating a piece of grass, laying in this meadow, and I'm laying with him looking at the clouds. And some of us say, that's not productive. Yes, it is, because that's the goal. And guess what? If we can get that posture right, then we're going to honor him in every way we can. That's why Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. (sighs) I'm tired. But I wanted you to hear some of this because I don't, I don't want to keep doing this life of ministry or life at all without being where he is. It discourages me to try and figure out what am I going to teach next? What am I going to, that's going to pop? What's going to, no. That, that is enough right there for us to work on for eternity, which is what we got. So I hope we walk away with this morning the simplicity of the, the task we must engage to receive the fact that one, he wants you to be where he is and two, to stay there. That's it. No thesis paper for you today. <laughs> Just that. And let him love you. Even if you don't feel you're lovable Because he's not looking through your eyes, he's looking through his. And he sees something in us that we don't see in ourselves most of the time, but let him lead you there. And you might go, how? Lots of different ways. People, scripture, prayer, paying attention to the encounters you have. God speaks in those. A variety of different ways. He's probably already speaking to you, and it's more... Not about, Lord, I want to hear you for the first time. It's maybe I want to, I want to uh, identify that it is you for the first time. There's lots of different ways he assures us that he's there in the midst. That being said, let's pray. 
and ask the Lord what he wants to say about it, this to us this morning. And, and in Jesus' name, I remove anything that I've said, and I ask forgiveness for anything I've said that's been out of alignment with the Father's heart, and pray in Jesus' name that the truths of his spirit, uh, of his character, of the things that uh, were said that are of truth, would settle in your heart in a transformational way. Lord, I thank you. I don't know what to say. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Give us those spaces and help us take those spaces where this can sink and settle. And we can hear those words afresh. And I want to read them over you one more time. That's what Jesus says about you. Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. That's your call. Your call in life is to be where he is, to be with him. Lord, we pray a blessing over that, in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray a blessing over our, our giving, our time of giving, which is an act of worship. I pray as the offering plate come by, we, we see through the eyes of faith, not fear, the eyes of faith, not woundedness, through the eyes of faith, not anxiety, through the eyes of faith and not obligation, but it's a small token of a way that we can respond in thankfulness and gratefulness who you are. We ask that we would use those gifts for your kingdom and for your kingdom of people that know you and to expand that kingdom so people will come to know you. Not with just mind, but with an intimacy that we can't possibly comprehend. Because that intimacy is worth dying for. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.